Book Four, Chapters Seven and Eight of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Bellwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Chapter Seven The Pleadings of Pity. To oblige Mr. Tyrold, who had made the arrangement with Sir Hugh, Eugenia consented to dine and spend the day at Etherington, which she had quitted at night in a temper of mind perfectly composed. Camilla was deeply penetrated by the whole of this affair, the sufferings so utterly unearned by fault or by folly of a sister so dear to her, and the affecting fortitude which so quickly upon her wounds, and at so early a period of life, she already began to display made her blush at the dejection into which she was herself cast by every evil and resolved to become in the future more worthy of the father and the sister who at this moment absorbed all her admiration too reasonable in such a frame of mind to plan for getting mandelbert she now only determined to think of him as she had thought before her affections became entangled to think of him in short as he seemed himself to desire to seek his friendly offices and advice but to reject every offered establishment and to live single for life gratified by indulgent praise and sustained by exerted virtue the revived eugenia had nearly reached cleves on her return when the carriage was stopped by a gentleman on horseback who approaching the coach window said in a low voice as if unwilling to be heard by the servants oh madame has fate set aside her cruelty and does fortune permit me to live once more she then recollected mr bellamy she had only her maid in the carriage who was sent for her by sir hugh miss margland being otherwise engaged all that had so lately passed upon her person and appearance being full upon her mind she involuntarily shrunk back hiding her face with her cloak bellamy by no means conceiving this mark of emotion to be unfavourable steadied his horse by leaning one hand on the coach window and said in yet a lower voice oh madame is it possible you can hate me so barbarously will you not even deign to look at me though i have so long been banished from your presence eugenia during this speech called to mind that though new in some measure to herself she was not so to this gentleman and ventured to uncover her face when the grief painted on the fine features of bellamy so forcefully touched her that she softly answered no sir indeed i do not hate you i am incapable of such ingratitude but i conjure i beseech you to forget me forget you oh madame you command an impossibility no i am constancy itself and not all the world united shall tear you from my heart jacob who caught a word or two now rode up to the other window and as eugenia began conquer sir i entreat you this ill-fated partiality told her the horses had been hard worked and must go home as jacob was the oracle of sir hugh about his horses his will was prescriptive law eugenia never disputed it and only saying think of me sir no more bid the coachman drive on bellamy respectfully submitting continued with his hat in his hand as the maid informed her mistress looking after the carriage till it was out of sight a tender sorrow now stole upon the just-revived tranquillity of the gentle and generous eugenia ah oh, thought she i have rendered 
little as i seem worthy of such power i have rendered this amiable man miserable but possibly and probably he is the only man in existence who i could render happy oh how may i dare expect from claremont a similar passion molly mill a very young girl and daughter of a poor tenant of sir hugh interrupted these reflections from time to time with her remarks upon their object dearie me miss she cried what a fine gentleman that was he sighed like to split his heart when you said don't think about me no more he's some lovier like i'm sure eugenia returned home so much moved by this incident that sir hugh believing his brother himself had failed to revive her was disturbed all anew with acute contrition for her disasters and feeling very unwell went to bed before supper-time eugenia retired also and after spending the evening in a soft compassion for bellamy and unfixed apprehensions and distaste for young linmere was preparing to go to bed when molly mill out of breath with haste brought her a letter she eagerly opened it whilst inquiring whence it came oh miss the fine gentleman that same fine gentleman brought it himself and he sent for me out and i did not know who i was to go to for mary only said a boy wanted me but the boy said i must come with him to this dial and when i came there who should i see but the fine gentleman himself and he gave me this letter and he asked me to give it to you and see look miss what i got from my trouble she then exhibited a half guinea you have not done right molly in accepting it money is bribery and you should have known that the letter was improperly addressed if bribery was a requisite to make it delivered dear me miss what's half a guinea to such a gentleman as that i dare say he's got his pockets full of them i shall not read it certainly cried eugenia now i know this circumstance give me the wax i will seal it again she then hesitated whether she ought to return it or shew it to her uncle or commit it to the flames that to which she was most unwilling appeared to the strictness of her principles to be most proper she therefore determined that the next morning she would relate her evening's adventure and deliver the unread letter to sir hugh had this epistle not perplexed her she had meant never to name its writer persuaded her last words had finally dismissed him she thought it a high point of female delicacy never to publish an unsuccessful conquest this resolution taken she went to bed satisfied with herself but extremely grieved at the suffering she was preparing for one who so singularly loved her the next morning however her uncle did not rise to breakfast and was so low-spirited that fearing to disturb him she deemed it most prudent to defer the communication but when after she had taken her lesson from dr orkborne she returned to her room she found molly mill impatiently waiting for her oh miss she cried here's another letter for you and you must read it directly for the gentleman says if you don't it will be the death of him why did you receive another letter said eugenia displeased oh dear me miss how could i help it if you'd seen the taking he was in you'd have took it yourself he was all of a quick and ready to go down on his two knees deary me if it did not make my heart go pit-pat to see him he was like to go out of his mind he said and the tears poor gentleman were all in his eyes eugenia now turned away strongly affected by this description do miss continued molly write him a little scrap if it's never so scratched and bad 
take it kinder than nothing do miss do oh, don't be ill-natured and just read this little letter do miss do it won't take you much time you read so nice and fast why cried eugenia did you go to him again how could you so incautiously entrust yourself to the conduct of a strange boy a strange boy did he mean miss don't you know it was tommy hard i knows him well enough i knows all the boys i warrant me round here come miss here is a pen and ink you'll run it off before one can count to five when you've a mind to it he'll be in a sad taking till he sees me come back come back is it possible you have been so imprudent as to have promised to see him again dearie me yes miss he'd have made away with himself if i had not he'd been there ever since six in the morning without nothing to eat or drink a riding up and down the road till he could see me coming to the stile and he says he'll keep a riding there all day long and all night too till i goes to him eugenia conceived herself now in a situation of unexampled distress she forced molly mill to leave her that she might deliberate what course to pursue having read no novels her imagination had never been awakened to scenes of this kind and what she had gathered upon such subjects in the poetry and history she had studied with dr orford had only impressed her fancy in proportion as love bore the character of heroism and the lover that of a hero though highly therefore romantic her romance was not the common adoption of a circulating library it was simply that of elevated sentiments formed by animated credulity playing upon youthful inexperience alas cried she what a conflict is mine i must refuse a man who adores me to distraction in disregard of my unhappy defects to cast myself under the guidance of one who perhaps may estimate beauty so highly as to despise me for its want this idea pleaded so powerfully for bellamy that something like a wish to open his letters obtained pardon to her little maid for having brought them she suppressed however the desire though she held them alternately to her eyes conjecturing their contents and bewailing for their impassioned writer the cruel answer they must receive though checked by shame she had some desire to consult camilla but she could not see her in time mrs arlberry having insisted upon carrying her in the evening to a play which was to be performed for one night only by a company of passing strollers at northwick my decision she cried must be my own and must be immediate ah oh, i'll leave a man such as this to wander night and day neglected and uncertain of his fate oh, with tears he sent me his letters what must not have been his despair when such was his sensibility tears in a man tears too that could not be restrained even till his messenger was out of sight how touching her own then fell in tender commiseration and it was with extreme repugnance that she compelled herself to take such measures as she thought her duty required she sealed the two letters in an empty cover and having directed them to mr bellamy summoned molly mill and told her to convey them to the gentleman and positively acquaint him she must receive no more and that those which were returned had never been read she bid her however and that she should always wish for his happiness and be grateful for his kind partiality though she earnestly conjectured him to vanish a regard which she did not deserve and must never return molly mill would fain have remonstrated but eugenia 
with that firmness which even in the first youth accompanies a consciousness of preferring duty to inclination silenced and sent her off relieved for herself now the struggle was over she secretly rejoiced that it was not for melmont she had so hard a part to act and this idea while it rendered bellamy less an object of regret diminished also something of her pity for his conflict by reminding her of the success which had attended her own similar exertions but when molly returned her distress was renewed she brought her these words written with a pencil upon the back of her own cover i do not dare cruelest of your sex to write you another letter but if you would save me from the abyss of destruction you will let me hear my final doom from your own mouth i ask nothing more ah walk but one moment in the park near the pales deny not your miserable adorer this last single request and he will fly this fatal climate which has swallowed up his repose for ever but till then here he will stay and neither quit the spot whence he sends you these lines till you have deigned to pronounce verbally his doom though he should famish for want of food alfonso bellamy eugenia read this with horror and compassion she imagined he perhaps thought her confined and would therefore believe no answer that did not issue immediately from her own lips she sent molly to him again with the same message but molly returned with a yet worse account of his desperation and a strong assurance that if she would only utter to him a single word he would obey depart and live upon it the rest of his life this completely softened her rather than imperiously suffer such a pattern of respectful constancy to perish she consented to speak her own negative but fearing she might be moved to some sympathy by his grief she resolved to be accompanied by camilla and deferred therefore the interview till the next day molly brought back his humble acknowledgments for this concession and an account that at last slowly and sadly he had ridden away her feelings were now better satisfied than her understanding she feared what she had granted was a favor yet her heart was too tender to reproach a compliance made upon such conditions and to prevent such evils chapter eight the disastrous buskins camilla though her personal sorrows were blunted by the view of the calamities and resignations of her sister was so little disposed for amusement that she had accepted the invitation of mrs Alberry only from wanting spirit to resist its urgency mr tyrold was well pleased that such a recreation came in her way but desired lavinia might be of the party not only that she might partake of the same pleasure but from a greater security in her prudence than in that of her naturally thoughtless sister the town of etherington afforded no theatre and the room fitted up for the night's performance could contain but two boxes one of which was secured for mrs albury and her friends the attentive major was ready to offer his hand to camilla upon her arrival the rest of the officers were in the box the play was othello and so miserably represented that lavinia would willingly have retired after the first scene but the native spirits of camilla revisited her in the view of the ludicrous personages of the drama and they were soon joined by sir sedley clarendell whose quaint conceits and remarks assisted the risibility of the scene she thought him the least comprehensible person she had ever known but as he was totally indifferent to her his oddity entertained without tormenting her the actors were of the lowest strolling kind and so utterly without merit that they had never yet met with sufficient encouragement 
to remain one week in the same place they had only a single scene for the whole performance which depictured a camp and which here served for a street a senate a city a castle and a bedchamber the dresses were almost equally parsimonious every one being obliged to take what would fit him from a wardrobe that did not allow quite two dresses a person for all the plays they had to enact othello therefore was equipped as king richard the third save that instead of a regal front he had a black wig to imitate wool while his face had been begrimed with a smoked cork iago wore a suit of cloths originally made for lord floppington brabantio had borrowed the armor of hamlet's ghost cassio the lieutenant-general in the christian army had only been able to equip himself in osmond's turkish vest and roderigo accoutred in the garment of shylock came forth a complete jew desdemona attired more suitably to her fate than her expectations went through the whole of her part except the last scene in the sable weeds of isabella and amelia was fain to content herself with the habit of the first witch in macbeth the gestures both of the gentlemen and the ladies were as outrageous as if meant rather to intimidate the audience than to shew their own animation and the men approached each other so closely with arms akimbo or double fists that sir sedley with pretended alarm said they were giving challenges for a boxing match the ladies also in the energy of their desire not to be eclipsed took so much exercise in their action that they tore out the sleeves of their gowns which though pinned up every time they left the stage completely exposed their shoulders at the end of every act and they raised their arms so high while facing each other that sir sedley expressed frequent fears they meant to finish by pulling caps so imperfect were they also in their parts that the prompter was the only person from whom any single speech passed without a blunder iago who was the master of the troop was the sole performer who spoke not with a provincial dialect the rest all betrayed their birth and parentage the first line they uttered cassio proclaimed himself from norfolk the duke do greet you general being not at your lodging to be found the senate set above three several quests etc othello himself to prove a true londoner and with his famed soldier-like eloquence in the senate scene thus began his celebrated defence most potent grow and reverend seniors my weary noble and approved good masters that i have taken away this old man's daughter i will around on one tale deliver of my whole course of love what drugs what charms what conjuration and what mighty magic i won his daughter with her father loved me oft invited me my story being done she gave me for my pains a world of sighs she swore in faith twas strange twas passing strange twas pitiful twas wondrous pitiful she wished she had not heard it yet she wished that helen had made her such a man this only is the witchcraft i have used here comes the lady let her witness it this happily making the gentle desdemona recognized notwithstanding her appearance with so little bridle 
for so much your father cried i pray you hear us speak if i confess that i was half the were this struggling on my head if i be the blame light all a moon his daughter in the worcestershire pronunciation answered no boo father i do perceive ere a divided duty to you i hope my life had education my life had education both to teach me how to respect you you're the lord of duty i'm either to your daughter but here's my husband the fond othello then exclaimed your wife's lords beseech you let her will have a free way and brabantio took leave with look to her more if as eyes do see eyes deceived her thither and may thee they were detained so long between the first and second act that sir sedley said he feared poor desdemona had lost the thread paper from which she was to mend her gown and recommended to the two young ladies to have the charity to go and assist her consider he said the trepidation of a fair bride but just entered into her shackles who knows but othello may be giving her a strapping in private for wearing out her clothes so fast you young ladies think nothing of these little conjugal freedoms mrs Alberry, though for some time she had been as well diverted by the play as camilla less new to such exhibitions was soon tired of the sameness of the blunders and at the end of the fourth act proposed retiring but camilla who had long not felt so much entertained looked so disappointed that her good humour overcame her fatigue and she was insisting upon staying when a gentleman who visited them from the opposite box proposed that the young lady should be carried home by his mother a lady who lived at etherington and was acquainted at the rectory and who intended to stay out not only the play but the farce lavinia consented the son went with the proposition and the business was soon arranged mrs Alberry, who had three miles to go beyond the parsonage house and who though she delighted to oblige was but little in the habit of practising self-denial then consigned the young ladies to general kinsale to be conducted to the opposite box and was handed by colonel andover to her coach the general guarded the eldest sister the major took care of camilla but they were all stopped in their passage by the sudden seizure of a pickpocket and forced hastily back to the box they had quitted this commotion though it had disturbed all the audience had not stopped the performance and desdemona being just now discovered in bed camilla not to lose the interesting scene persuaded her sister to wait till the play was over before they attempted again to cross to the opposite box into which in a few minutes after she saw mandelbear enter they had both already seated themselves as much out of sight as possible and camilla now began to regret that she had not accompanied mrs Alberry. she had thought only of the play and its entertainment till the sight of mandelbear told her that her situation was improper and the idea only occurred to her by considering that it would occur to him mandelbear had dined out with a party of men and had stepped in to see what was going forwards without any knowledge whom he should meet he instantly discerned lavinia and felt anxious to know why camilla was not with her and why she sat so much out of sight but camilla so completely hid herself he could only see there was a female 
whom he concluded to be some Etherington lady, and he determined to make further inquiry when the act should be over. The performance now became so truly ludicrous that Camilla, notwithstanding all her uneasiness, was excited to almost perpetual laughter. Desdemona, either from the effect of a bad cold or to give more of nature to her repose, breathed so hard as to raise a general laugh in the audience. Sir Sedley, stopping his ears, exclaimed, Boy, if she snores, I shall plead for her no more, if she tear her gown to tatters. Suffocation is much too lenient for her. She's an immense, horrid personage, nasal to alarm. Othello then entered, with a tallow candle in his hand, staring and dropping grease at every step, and, having just declared he would not scar that vital skin of hers then snow, perceived a thief in the candle, which made it run down so fast over his hand and the sleeve of his coat that the moment not being yet arrived for extinguishing it, he was forced to lay down his sword and, for want of better means, snuff it with his fingers. Sir Sedley now protested himself completely disordered. I must be gone, cried he, incontinently. This exceeds resistance. I shan't be alive in another minute. Are you able to form a notion of anything more annihilating? If I did not build up upon the pleasure of seeing him stop up those distressing nostrils of the gentle Desdemona, I could not breathe here another instant. But just after, while Othello leant over the bed to say, Then I've plucked the rose i cannot give it a vital growth again it needs must thither his black locks caught fire the candle now fell from his hand and he attempted to pull off his wig but it had been tied close on to appear more natural and his fright disabled him he therefore flung himself upon the bed and rolled the coverlid over his head desdemona excessively frightened started up and jumped out shrieking aloud oh lord i shall be burnt this noble venetian dame then exhibited beneath an old white satin bedgown made to cover her arms and breast the dress in which she had equipped herself between the acts to be ready for trampling home namely a dirty red and white linen gown an old blue stuff quilted coat and black shoes and stockings in this pitiable condition she was running screaming off the stage when othello having quenched the fire unconscious that half his curls had fallen a sacrifice to the flames hastily pursued her and in a violent passion called her a fool and brought her back to the bed in which he assisted her to compose herself and then went behind the scenes to light his candle which having done he gravely returned and very carefully putting it down renewed his part with the line be thus when thou art dead and i will kill thee and love thee after amidst roars of laughter from the whole audience who when he kissed her almost with one voice called out hey hey let's write kissin friends and when he said i must weep so must i too my good friend cried sir sedley wiping his eyes for never yet did sorrow cost me more salt room poor blackie thou hast been most indissolubly comic i confess thou hast unstrung me to a degree a baby of half an hour might demolish me and again when othello exclaimed she wakes the deuce she does cried sir sedley what has she been asleep again already she's a very caricature of morpheus 
I do thy worst, honest Mungo. I cannot possibly beg her off. I would sooner sniff thy farthing candle than sustain that nasal cadence evermore. He's the finest fellow upon the face of the earth, cried Mr. McDarcy, who had listened to the whole play with the most serious interest. The instant he suspects his wife, he cuts her off without ceremony, though she is dearer to him than his eyesight, and beautiful as an angel. How I envy him! Don't you think twould have been as well, said General Kinsale, if he'd first made some little inquiry? He can do that afterwards, General, and then nobody will dare surmise it's out of weakness. For, to be sure and certain, he ought to write her fame. That's no more than his duty, after once he has satisfied his own. But a man's honour is dearest to him of all things, a wife's a bauble to it, not worth a thought. The suffocating was now beginning, but just as Desdemona begged to be spared, But off, an hour! The doorkeeper forced his way into the pit and called out, Pray, is one Miss Tyrold here in the playhouse? The sisters, in much amazement, hung back, entreating the gentleman to screen them, and the man, receiving no answer, went away. While wondering what this could mean, the play was finished, when one of the comedians, a brother of the Worcestershire Desdemona, came to the pit door, calling out, I'm desired to husk if Miss Camilla Tyrold's anyway here in the house, for I am honored to call her out for her uncle's hill and dying. A piercing shriek from Camilla now completed the interruption of all attention to the performance and betrayed her hiding place concealment indeed was banished her thoughts and she would herself have opened the box door to rush out had not the major anticipated her seizing at the same time her hand to conduct her through the crowd end of chapter eight recording by linda velwest